You don't know flag. You don't know flag. Welcome to You Don't Know Flag podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 209, Cubert. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is September 30th, 2021, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about Qbert, one of my favorite old-school arcade games. And right off the bat, I have to apologize if you hear any background noise. I'm recording this very early in the morning, and uh, right as the sun is coming up, we're also getting a rainstorm. So if you hear rain tapping on my window, that's the sound you may be hearing in the background. But uh, while, uh, fortunately, I'm uh, everything I'm running is on a UPS and I don't anticipate losing power. Uh, but as I check all my connections here, that'll give us a few minutes to chat about this week's news during loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Uh, just a reminder, if you would like to watch the video version of You Don't Know Flack, you can find that over at youtube.com forward slash Sprite Castle. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube action happening over at youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. That is where you can find all my Sprite Castle shows. You can find my Sprite Castle uh, play videos. There's a lot of other things going on. If you're following that stream, you saw a video I uploaded this week, which was a response to the Angry Video Game Nerds video. He released a video over the weekend uh, about the Commodore 64 and... A lot. He addressed some things about the Commodore 64. He showed off some games. It wasn't about one specific game. It was more just about the system. Uh, he has mellowed out a little bit over the past year or so, maybe two years. Uh, there's not as much uh, cussing and loud screaming and stuff as there is normally. Obviously, the angry video game nerd is a character. And I find it funny. I've been watching him for a long time. I've, I've been a big fan of his. Uh, but there were a lot of things in his video about the Commodore 64 that weren't correct. And I get it. You know, I've had some feedback on through uh, the YouTube channel and on the YouTube video that people are saying, well, you know, you shouldn't be getting your facts from the angry video game nerd. And that's probably true. But when someone comes out and says, you know, the Commodore 64 had viruses or the Commodore 64 had a, a lot of games released on three and a half inch floppies and he's showing piles of three and a half inch floppies that are obviously all Amiga discs and not Commodore 64 discs. I thought I would call out a few of those things. And of course, for comedic value, he showed some of the worst games graphically and, and playability wise on the C64. And so I thought I would take a little bit of time and show off some of the better games. And I did point out on his video that for all the games that he showed, I looked up, there's a list on Lemon64 of the top 100 Commodore 64 games, 
And of the 100 best games, and this is by people voting on Lemon64, but of the top 100 ranked games on Lemon64, he only showed one of those, uh, which means and tells you what kind of games he was shooting. And, and again, it's a he puts on a comedy show, and it's a funny show, so I was just offering a little bit of an alternative. Uh, some people said, you know, well, maybe I'm taking him too seriously. I wasn't. I was just, uh, you know giving my own little response and it's had um i think five or six hundred views so far and, and hopefully uh my thing isn't to get people away obviously from the angry video game nerd my people is to get people towards the commodore 64 so uh if it does that for a few people then uh, that worked for me anyway if you want to catch my streams in real time go to twitch.tv forward slash rob o'hara you can um, follow Mike. There's a difference between follow and subscribe. Subscribe has to do with paying and stuff like that. I'm not trying to make money off of Twitch. Um, all, all I want is for people to be able to interact with me and have fun and watch and play Commodore games and get exposed to other games. We just played this week. We played Beachhead 2 and G.I. Joe, which were two fun games to play. Uh, so you can go over to my Twitch channel. And if you follow, that's free. And you'll get notifications through the app uh, whenever I go live. And so you could go over and hop on and, and watch us uh, play games and have a good time. So I'd love to see you there. Uh, and finally, all of my podcast stuff is available at podcast.robohara.com. If you want to find out links or RSS links or all the past episodes, anything like that, that's the place to go. Uh, in regards to feedback, this is where I talk about feedback from the previous show and, uh, the previous episode of You Don't Know Flack was the breakfast cereal episode and I got a ton of feedback. I got some really great feedback from people talking about some of their favorite breakfast cereals and of course people questioned some of my choice in cereals, which is legit. I will take that. <laughs> I got a great message on the, uh, Flack podcast hotline from Joe Sharippa, one of my listeners, who talked about, um, I thought this was funny, he said his mom would not buy uh, sugary cereal for him and his brother, his brother Steve Sharippa, another uh, uh, listener to the show, uh, and a, a Patreon supporter, and he said his mom wouldn't buy them sugary cereal, but their grandparents would, and they would kind of use that as a, a, you know, a trick to lure them over to the house. You know, hey, if you come spend the night over here, you could come have this cereal. So I thought that was really funny. Uh, my grandma did the opposite. My grandma had terrible food <laughs> at her house. One of my, uh, I'm kind of, I'm loosely working on an episode about both of my grandmas, and I thought it would be fun and kind of sentimental to do. And one of the things that I remember is that my grandma, when I would spend the night for breakfast, she would make spam and eggs. That was her specialty. So no lucky charms at my grandma, just spam and eggs. <laughs> but I did enjoy all the feedback, and I'm glad everybody seemed to enjoy the uh, breakfast cereal episode. You know, the one before that was the satanic panic, and so I really wanted to swing the other way and kind of, uh, you know, figuratively and literally wash our mouths out with something uh, sugary and sweet. And so that's why I went with the breakfast cereal episode. And I'm glad I did. I had a lot of fun uh, doing that. And then... Uh, I, I'm so backed up right now with uh, General Mills Monster Cereals. Like, I told my, my wife I was looking for them, and I got the three-pack, and I got the Monster Mash, and then my wife bought a three-pack, and then we bought the individually bag. I mean, I've got cereal for like six months now. 
<laughs> so I am stocked up on General Mills cereal. Uh, the big news for me personally this week is uh, the return of Throwback Reviews podcast. If you used to enjoy listening to Sean and myself talk about retro stuff, well, Sean is back. He moved about a year ago. He moved into a house that was kind of a, a project fixer upper house, and part of that was uh, part of that involved building a new recording studio area in his backyard, and so he's finished with that. It took a long time. It took about a year to get everything where he wants it, but uh, he has everything set up and his studio is, everything is now permanently set up. So hopefully our plan to go forward on throwback reviews is to get back to a monthly recording schedule. So on this latest episode of throwback reviews, uh, you can hear about what we've been doing and watching what retro shows and, and things we've been uh, viewing during uh, since we last recorded and and we had some fun conversations and stuff like that. So uh, I did end up mirroring the RSS feed to throwback reviews over to my uh, podcast feed. So if you subscribe to all of my podcasts and I have a feed for that, you'll start getting throwback reviews through there as well. But nothing else has changed. So if you have the old throwback reviews feed in your uh podcast aggregator in your podcast feed uh you should have got the new episode it should have fired right back up the feed hasn't changed or anything like that so if you were subscribed before you are subscribed again so we look forward to uh having you join us back on throwback reviews i'm really looking forward to uh doing some more of those shows uh, I did not get a Patreon question for this episode as a reminder to my 16-bit Patreon supporters that you are, uh, uh, I don't want to say allowed, that sounds weird, but uh, you can ask me a question and I will answer it on the air. If it's Commodore 64 related, it'll get answered on Sprite Castle, and if it's not, it'll probably end up here on You Don't Know Flack. Um but uh, so if you want to do that, go over to patreon.com, check out my Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Uh, all my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts. They get weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos retro gaming discord server and other random additional perks. Now, if you'd like to support the show, but you don't uh, want to do it financially, you the two easiest things you can do for me is to share links on social media and you can also leave reviews wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. And it looks like all my show notes have loaded, so let's get started talking about this week's topic, Qbert. My earliest memory of playing Qbert was at Crossroads Mall. Crossroads Mall was the largest mall. It was the first big mall. It was the first covered mall in Oklahoma. Crossroads, the title, the name of the mall comes from the fact that it was 
where these two major interstates crossed, I-240 and I-35. And uh, In fact, I believe I did a, an episode about Crossroads Mall, and you can listen all about it. But on the first floor of Crossroads Mall was a large arcade called Le Mans Arcade. Later, it became Bally Le Mans. It was purchased, I guess, by, by Bally's. And uh, this arcade was the arcade of my youth that had the most money. So I, you know, I tend to think of like Cactus Jacks was the one that was the biggest arcade near me that was kind of that dark, scary kind of arcade in everyone's youth. And there were arcade games, you know, at the grocery store, convenience store, and there were a lot of places. But um, when I think of the arcade Le Mans, I think of it being the one with the most money. So when there was a brand new game, when Dragon's Lair came out, that's the first place I saw it. When Gauntlet came out, that's the first place I saw it. And so uh, Ballet Le Mans was the first place that I saw Qbert. Uh, it was released by Gottlieb in 1982, and it is considered to be Gottlieb's most successful arcade game. It is a isometric style game. Uh, similar to Zaxxon and uh, Congo Bongo. The controls are a four-way diagonal joystick. That's how you control Qbert, which was very unique at the time. In fact, it confused a lot of early players that had trouble controlling Qbert, which now um, it just seems secondhand to us. Qbert uh, came in a bright yellow cabinet. The sides were yellow, the front was black, and then you had, of course, your, your typical uh, uh, marquee. But it had a, a very distinct look that stood out from a lot of other machines. A lot of machines, uh, you know, later on were just black with artwork on the side. So to have a bright yellow cabinet with bright colors for all the artwork really made it stand out. Uh, the marquee, as the title of the game, Qbert, and then there are two different pyramids. There's kind of one on the left and one on the right, and the one on the left has Qbert. He's getting conked with a purple ball on the head, his cross-eyed because he's just been hit, and he has his famous word balloon with his made-up Qbert language, which we'll be talking about. Uh, on the right-hand side on the other pyramid, you've got Coily um, and some of the other characters, so they're looking at Qbert. And then you have, again, the title of the name, which I do want to mention is spelled capital Q, asterisk, and then lowercase Bert. I think this is one of the most misspelled arcade titles of all time. You will see it as one word. You'll see it with a hyphen. You'll see it with a capital B for bird, all different types of spellings. But this is the correct spelling, capital Q, asterisk, and then lowercase bird. Uh, the control panel has the joystick right in the middle. On the right-hand side, it says who's who and what's what, and it shows you what all the good guys and the bad guys are uh, and the points, how, ma uh, how many points each of those things are worth on the game. On the far left-hand side, you've got a one-player and two-player start button, and then there's a little section of instructions that says here's how to play Qbert. Um, what's lacking from Qbert, I think, uh, or what, what players would have thought at that time, were additional buttons. Most games at that time, uh, other than, I guess, Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man, but most games had a fire button or a jump button, some sort of action. And so Qbert, as you can, when you look at the control panel, you'll notice there are no buttons. It's just that joystick. 
and you've got the player one and player two uh, start buttons there on the again on the uh, far left side of the control panel. Uh, finally, you've got this side art. You know, you've got this bright yellow cabinet, and on the side art, you have uh, four, I guess, uh, blocks from Kubert's pyramid. Kubert's on the bottom block, and again, he's in that same. Uh, he's got that same look that he has on the marquee. His eyes are crossed, and he's been hit in the head, and he has the word balloon. And then up at the top, you can see Coily, the snake, looking down over what's happening. So, uh, again, bright colors, very primary bright colors, red, blue, and yellow. And then Cubert really stands out uh, because he's orange, and Coily stands out. Uh, because he is purple. So if you're watching the uh, video version of the show, we are switching over now to the gameplay so you can see what the game actually looks like when it's playing. Uh, this game was designed by Warren Davis. This was his first arcade game. Jeez, that was a loud lightning. <laughs> made me jump. Um, and he had partnered up with Jeff Lee, who had drawn a bunch of artwork. He used to draw these characters, the characters that eventually ended up in Hubert. Um, he would draw them even uh, in high school. He would draw them on pieces of paper and things like that. Uh, and he had come up with this idea for a pyramid from drawings from M.C. Escher. If you're familiar with M.C. Escher, who would do these optical illusions uh, with three dimensions. And so they had drawn this pyramid and then wanted to build a game around this pyramid that they had drawn. So from Jeff Lee's old artwork, they found this character, this little orange round guy with a long nose and feet and no arms. Uh, and and uh, thought that he could hop around on the top of these cubes of the pyramid. And so they came up with an idea for a game uh, called Snots and Boogers. And Hubert, this is before he had a name, would shoot, I'm assuming, Snots and Boogers out of his nose. Um, but they really couldn't figure out a way for this mechanism to work in the game. Uh, at this time, there was only one bad guy, which was Coily. And so Cubert was running around this pyramid and trying to shoot Coily, but it just didn't really work. And so they, they kind of went back to the drawing board. And, and then someone associated with Gottlieb suggested, hey, what if when you jumped on top of these cubes, they changed colors? And so that was kind of the missing piece uh, to the basic gameplay. Once they put that together, essentially, you have Cubert. There are lots of different other characters other than Cubert in the game. Uh, you have Slick and Sam, who are these little green guys that help you out. There are purple guys called uh, Wrong Way and Ugg, who we'll be hearing about later. Uh, they come up from the bottom and they come up on a different axis. This is kind of what leads to that MC Escher feeling uh, that they, they uh, come almost like they're playing the game uh, if it were rotated, it's a strange look and it makes them a little bit more difficult to uh, avoid. There are red balls that are constantly falling down onto the pyramid and bouncing around that Kubert has to avoid. And then finally, there is Coily, who starts as a purple ball. And when he reaches the bottom, he turns into Coily the snake, who will then begin to pursue Kubert. Now, Kubert cannot shoot snots and boogers out of his nose. And so the only way Kubert can escape Coily is to jump on one of the hovering discs 
which are next to uh, the pyramid, when he jumps on the disc, he will levitate all the way back up to the top of the pyramid, and Coily will follow him and jump off the side of the pyramid. So that is how you can avoid being caught by Coily. Now, another part of the game uh, was uh, brought by David Thiel. Now, David Thiel was doing some work on the 6502 chip, which a lot of us are familiar with, if you're familiar with 8-bit computers, and he was trying to get this to do speech. Uh, but none of the, the things that he was trying to get it to say were uh, uh, audible, not audible, but it, they weren't comprehensible, and people couldn't understand what it was trying to say, and he, he was just getting super frustrated. And so, as the story goes... He just put random numbers in there and it started getting these random noises. So it sounds like a voice, but it's just saying garbage. And so based off of that, he came up with a system of short, tiny little phonetic sounds that could be placed in random orders and linked together to make uh, <laughs> the sound that, that Cuber makes. And so uh, one of the drawings that Jeff Lee had done was of Kubert with that famous word balloon over him with the random characters and stuff. And so they kind of put these things together and said, Hey, when Kubert, you know, gets killed, that little word balloon could pop up and it could do the, uh, the swearing, you know, when the swear balloon comes up, it could do this random swearing in uh, a way that's funny and not, you know, offensive to players. So, uh, they love this idea so much, this swear balloon, that when it came time to name the game, that was the proposed name, was the swear balloon. So the name of the game was going to be exclamation mark, question mark, uh, pound sign, asterisk, whatever, you know. And uh, there are pictures of Qbert games being tested, prototype machines that have a marquee with that name on it. And the problem became uh, that no one could pronounce that. And so nobody knew what to call the game, which is a, uh, a really bad marketing idea. And so uh, they started trying to come up with uh, other, other names for the game. So there's a strange story that while they were brainstorming, one of the, they wanted the word cube in the title, you know, because you're bouncing on cubes. And they had come up, brainstormed different ideas for uh, the character, this little orange guy's name. And one of the names was Herbert, even though nobody seems to remember why they came up with Herbert. Um, like nobody knows if there was a Herbert it was named after or just somebody just randomly came up with that. But uh, eventually it became Cube Herbert or something like that. And then it became Cube and then the last part of Herbert, so it was Cube Bert, and then it was, uh, you know, Cube Dash Bert, something like that, uh, or CU, and then somebody changed the cube to the letter Q, and so it was Q Dash Bert. And then right before they finalized, they changed the dash to an asterisk, which uh, Gottlieb has said was a mistake because. Uh, it makes it you know more difficult to find, and then later on, as as we all know now, sometimes you pick something that wasn't very search engine friendly, and so now if you're trying to search for Qbert and you put Q asterisk, sometimes that can mess up your uh, search engine. Now, uh, as far as the gameplay goes, 
Cubert is hopping up and down this pyramid, and the pyramid is seven cubes tall and seven cubes wide at the bottom. This is not the case in all the home versions. We'll talk about that. But uh, on the early levels, the goal is for Cubert to hop on all the cubes and change them from one color to a second color. And the first level consists of uh, four screens and they all are essentially like that. And then you get to a screen where uh, cubes have to be hopped on a second time. So they have to change two colors. So you change them to color one and then hop back on them and change them to color two. Uh, then you get to a part in the game where cubes, when you hop on them a third time, go back to the original color. And so it becomes this weird puzzle game. Uh, you'll find yourself like, with one or two cubes that are stuck on the wrong colors and you're hopping back and forth. And so you'll have to use the discs to hop on uh, to take yourself off the platform and come back. So, uh, and so it, it's a, it's an interesting game because it becomes a puzzle game that's going very fast with things chasing you and dropping on. So you have to be able to think and kind of multitask. You have to be able to figure out these puzzles also while things are chasing you. So it's a, it's a very unique game. Uh, in, in that aspect. Now, because this game was made by Gottlieb, Gottlieb was known for making pinball machines. They were very big in the pinball industry. And one of the things that they had laying around were those knockers, the little electronic knocker that you hear inside a pinball machine. And so one of the things they decided to do was put a knocker inside the cabinet. So when Cubert falls off the pyramid, he yells, oh, and then you hear this knock. And it's like someone, you know, using their, their knuckle and wrapping the cabinet. You know, it you can feel it, something hitting the cabinet. Now, I read online that they said they were going to put foam inside there to soften the hit, but it would have cost too much to do. I got to question that because... It doesn't make sense to me. I would think that the knocker would be way more expensive than a little piece of foam. So I that part, unless I'm missing something, that really doesn't uh, make sense to me. Now, Cubert was an instant success. Uh, they took it to one of the big game shows, uh, and based off of that, they sold 25,000 cabinets. Uh, it was one of the highest grossing games of 1983. Based on the success of the cabinet, they also made cabaret versions and cocktail versions. Uh, and one of the biggest deals that they made at the gaming show was they sold the home rights to Parker Brothers. And so Parker Brothers began making uh, versions of Cubert. So the first version of Cubert that I ever saw at home was the Atari 2600 version. The Atari 2600 version is playable, but pretty ugly. <laughs> it does not look as good as the arcade version. But, you know, that was the concession that we made with the Atari 2600, right? It was, uh, it may not look exactly like the arcade, but the trade-off was, hey, you get to play an arcade game at home. So I don't know that people complain. 
But the Atari 2600's resolution is so much lower than the arcade version that the pyramid on the Atari version is only six by six. So there's not as much room to maneuver around. And it does make it a different game. And there were several other home versions of the game uh, that use that six by six configuration instead of seven by seven. The VIC 20 version, I believe, is also six by six. Now, my neighbors across the street had an Intellivision, and they got Qbert for their Intellivision, and I remember it looking pretty good. Uh, the Intellivision always had superior graphics to the Atari. That was one of the things that they constantly pushed in their commercials. Um, but you had to play it with that Intellivision disc controller, and as a kid, uh, especially Qbert, where you were doing diagonal things, it, it was very frustrating experience. So I thought it looked better, but it was more difficult to play. Uh, The next version that I personally had was the Commodore 64 version, and I actually had that on a cartridge. Um, It played really well. One of the things that you'll notice on a lot of these other ports of Qbert is that because of graphical limitations, most sprites were a single color or a color with a background color or a spot that was transparent that you could see through. Uh, but the way Qbert is drawn in the game is he's an orange character with white eyes with black pupils. And that's very difficult to do on a lot of home computers. So a lot of the early versions of Qbert just have his eyes missing, and it looks like you're looking through Qbert, which is a weird look. But the Commodore version actually had little eyeballs in there, so that sounds like a strange bragging right, but it did make it look different than the other versions. Uh, Qbert has been continually released on lots of different systems. It was released for the PlayStation and the Dreamcast, and both of those versions have the original arcade version, but they also have updated versions of Qbert. They they have um, like a 3D kind of rendered look to them. The Dreamcast version has different levels that are puzzles that you have to solve and, and do different things. So they're both fun games. So it's it's Qbert Plus, right? Like you could play the arcade version of Qbert, but there are additional uh, things, uh, you know, added levels and bonus and things like that that you can also do. Um, I was looking online for the last version of of Qbert, and Sony has one that's available right now. We'll talk about uh, why Sony, why it would be Sony, but uh, Sony is offering a version for phones, uh, for iOS and Android, uh, the arcade version of Qbert, and then it has uh, again, it's like these updated versions as additional stuff, uh, but that's available right now. So uh, Qbert is a game that came onto the scene and has never really gone away. It's like Pac-Man and a lot of those other classic games. Uh, It has never disappeared from the zeitgeist. Uh, There were a few other Qbert games. First of all, there was a a pinball table, of course, uh, because of Gottlieb, called uh, Qbert's Quest. And I have played this game. I played it at the Pinball Hall of Fame in uh, Las Vegas. And it is an interesting game. I mean, to me, probably the most interesting thing is that it has Qbert on it, right? But it's a it's a fun game, and you have to go through, you know, like a lot of pinball games at that time, you have to unlock different things. But uh, but that's fun. Uh, there was also a Qbert board game uh, by Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers released Qbert on anything and everything they thought could possibly 
uh, run Cubert. And when they ran out of things, they also made a board game. So there were several arcade based board games around that time. There was a Pac-Man board game, Cubert board game. Uh, I used to have a Centipede and a Zaxxon board game. So it wasn't uh, unheard of for board games, but I have not played the Cubert board game, but uh, I guess, you know, if you, <laughs> if you were out of everything else, if you didn't have any other way to play Cubert, that might be uh, uh, something you would want to try. Now there are two variants of Cubert that became available. Uh, they're both available in MAME if you want to check them out. And the first is called uh, the Mellow Yellow version of Cubert. So Coca Cola owned Mellow Yellow at this time, but Coca Cola also owned Columbia, and Columbia owned Gottlieb. So they released this second version of Cubert sponsored by Mellow Yellow. Uh, on the opening scene, there is a logo for Mellow Yellow, like a little advertisement. And then as you play, like every couple of levels, there is a cutscene of Cubert flying around on the disc and drinking Mellow Yellow from a can through a straw on his nose. Uh, so, you know, as an advertising type of thing, uh, the gameplay is the same, except for it just has these cutscenes added. But it's, it's worth checking out in MAME just for the uniqueness factor, I would say. Um, now, the guys uh, from Gottlieb that developed the game, once they put this out on the, on the floor and, and people were testing it, and then eventually when it was sold, what they found was that people got really good at Cubert. And uh, I believe it was Warren Davis who said he went to an arcade and he watched somebody play for a couple of hours on one quarter. And he thought that, that the game must be too easy. And so he went back and made a new version, which I believe is called the Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cubert. That version did not make it uh, to arcade floors, but again, it is available in MAME. Uh, so if you want to check that out, I think things speed up a little bit more quickly. I think there are more enemies, and it is definitely more challenging. So if you think Cubert is too easy, I think Cubert is too easy for the first couple of levels, and then I think Cubert gets really hard all of a sudden. But if you want a little bit more Cubert challenge, check out the faster, harder, more challenging Cubert, which is available in MAME. Uh, all right, so we're going to switch back over to the slideshow because we've got some more pictures to show in this first one. Uh, if you are a fan of arcade games and if you listen to either of my shows, you probably are. You know that this screenshot is from Wreck-It Ralph. Now, Cubert uh, came in before, uh, well, he came into the movie, but there were a lot of arcade characters that were just background characters. You know, you looked and you were like, oh, that's the guy from Dig Dug, or oh, that's whoever. But Cubert uh, was actually a part of the plot. Uh, he was um, one of the, the characters that they show who becomes homeless in Wreck-It Ralph because his game is unplugged. And so he hangs out in, I think it was called the... Uh, it's not Grand Central, Game Central Station. Uh, and uh, you can see the other Cubert characters are there, uh, Coily and, and uh, uh, Slick and Sam and, and Ugg and Wrongway are, are all there in the station. Um, and uh, both Felix and Ralph 
talk to Qbert, and I guess the language is called Qbertese, and so they're able to speak to Qbert, and it, and so he does have a integral part of the plot. Uh, I believe it's Fixit Felix goes and talks to Qbert, and Qbert tells him which game Ralph is leaving to. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that that they they put Qbert in the game, and not only was it uh, you know was he in the movie. But he had a role in the movie. You know, he, he actually had something to do with the plot. Uh, a couple of years later, in 2015, there was another movie that came out called Pixels. This was an Adam Sandler movie. A lot of people gave it a big thumbs down. Um, you know, I didn't love it at the time, but I've gone back and watched it. And, yeah, you know, it, it's all right. Um, but Cubert uh, also is a part of this. He's a big part of the movie Pixels. And... Basically, if I remember right, the uh, uh, the aliens that look like arcade games, they have this idea that we want to wage war with these aliens because they've seen arcade games and they've seen us shooting the people in uh, arcade games. And so Kubert basically explains the plot to the protagonist. He says, no, they want to they want to wage war. Because they've seen your game. So, Qbert is the connection between the protagonists and the, the bad guys, which are the aliens. Uh, in the movie, Qbert is not smoothed out and animated and round. He's very pixelated. He looks almost like he's made of Legos. And he moves around. And, uh, you know, it's entertaining. Now, what was interesting about this is, remember before I said that uh, Coca-Cola owned uh, Columbia. And Columbia had owned Gottlieb. Well... Uh, at one point in time, Sony bought Columbia. And so uh, Sony leased out Cubert uh, to Disney for Wreck-It Ralph. And then uh, Pixels was made by Columbia. So they could use certain characters because they owned them. And so that's how Cubert uh, ended up in, uh, in the movie Pixels. Now, back in the day... Cubert uh, was everywhere, and I don't mean just in arcades. I mean merchandise. He was a cute dude, <laughs> and he was very marketable. And so there were all kinds of things that ended up with Cubert on them. I remember uh, going to the store and getting stickers, like a sheet of stickers that had Cubert. And I, my parents would never let me put stickers on my door or on the wall. And so I had posters and I would put stickers on posters. I had this uh, old Star Wars poster with R2-D2 and C-3PO and it had a huge white border all the way around. And I would put stickers in the border of that poster. And I remember putting Cubert uh, stickers on that poster. Uh, there was a vintage tabletop arcade version i believe it looked like all those other coleco ones i believe this was uh again through uh, parker brothers uh there were plush dolls of cubert i think that was a big thing there were watches um there were lunch boxes i didn't have uh, a plastic cubert lunch box but that was one of the ones that uh was released at the time and if you've listened to the show you know that i collect lunch boxes and I try to only collect metal lunchboxes, but I make exceptions. This is one I would make an exception for. I would definitely own a plastic Cubert lunchbox. I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, and they're still marketing Cubert stuff today. There are Funko Pops. If you like those pop, uh, I guess they're called pop vinyls. 
Uh, I've mentioned before on the show, I am fighting tooth and nail to not start collecting those things because I know that once I do it, there won't be an end to it. So I'm trying not to buy pop vinyl figures. Um, but if I were, Qbert's one that I would buy. Now, with all the stuff going on with Qbert, uh, you know, you had lunchboxes, you had the success of the game, you had all these things. It was only a matter of time before Qbert got his own Saturday morning cartoon. Take a The uh, Kubert cartoon debuted in 1983. It was part of the Saturday morning Supercade lineup. There were several uh, arcade-based cartoons. You had Dragon's Lair, you had Pac-Man. There was a Pitfall cartoon, and Kubert was one of those. Uh, for some reason that I don't really understand, Kubert lived in a strange town that was based on the 1950s. So Everybody is wearing like letter jackets from the 50s and Converse high tops. You know, it's all just supposed to have this look from the 1950s. I don't really understand why um, why they said it in the 50s, but they did. Uh, there was, uh, along with Qbert, he had a lot of friends. There was Qbit. There was Qball. Uh, I watched the first episode last night, and the, there's... All these ads that say drink cube cola, which I thought was, you know, silly, but there's everything has little cube references. Uh, all the bad guys from the arcade game, Ugg and Wrong Way and Coily are there. Coily, the snake also has a girlfriend who talks like Mae West. She's always saying, hey, we got to go get us some Qbert. <laughs> I did not practice that accent before and it came out pretty bad. Um but uh, uh, the plot of the first one is that there's going to be a race on everyone's flying discs, and the guys from uh, the bad guys from the game want to steal Kubert's disc, and they're trying to sabotage the race. They glue his disc to the ground, so when they, they say go, his disc is stuck to the ground with glue. Um, so it's just a whole, you know goofy episode that has nothing to do with Qbert, really. They're just racing in, uh, at the end, and I should have seen this coming. Qbert wins by a nose. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. Uh, now, I had a Commodore 64 growing up, and so I mentioned that I did have Qbert, but there were a lot of Qbert clones out there, not just for the Commodore, but you know, there were a lot of unlicensed games on all home computer systems. So on the Commodore, uh, there was Pogo Joe, which was one of my favorites. You were a guy on a pogo stick, uh, I'm guessing named Joe. <laughs> and so there, instead of cubes, it was cylinders. And you jumped around on the cylinders and, and these bouncing balls and different things. I mean, if you look at it for five seconds, you go, oh, it's it's Qbert, just slightly different graphics and, and configuration. Uh, but Pogo Joe was the one I played the most. There was one called Mr. Cool, where you hopped on plates uh, instead of 
pyramid. So just all these little changes. There was another one called Q Bopper, uh, which I enjoyed. I found a version, uh, a game just called Burt for the Macintosh, which looks a lot like Qbert. Um, there were a couple called uh, Cubics and Blockhead for the Coco. Um, so all, all these old home computers had knockoff versions of Qbert, although Parker Brothers released licensed versions of Qbert to a lot of them too. So uh, if you had any kind of home computer or home console, chances are there was a version of Qbert. The ColecoVision had a version of Qbert that was really, really good. It was probably one of the best home conversions. Um, I do remember seeing ones for uh, the Apple, or not the Apple. The Apple did have a version that wasn't very good. Uh, the uh, Atari 800 had one uh, that was uh, really good. So there's just a million different versions of Qbert out there. Now, I want to tell a story about how I acquired my own Qbert arcade machine. I have been told by some people that they don't like to share what their hobbies are, especially if they're into video gaming or things like that. They don't tell people what their hobbies are. I was always the opposite. I would tell everybody who would listen what I was into because those people became connections when I was looking for things, you know. Um, one of my friends uh, years ago was like, oh, I know you're into these old games. Uh, I have this evil Knievel uh, stunt cycle thing, you know, in my attic. I had a friend that when I told him I did uh, collected lunchboxes, he said, oh, I've got this old Dukes of Hazard lunchbox from when I was a kid in my attic. You can have it, you know. So it's worked out for me. I'm not that person that hides what I'm into. I tell everybody. I probably tell too many people. And so uh, one of my friends at work, his name is Tim. I call him Tim Dog. Uh, Tim Dog knew that I was into arcade games and video games and things like that. And one day on his way home from work, I got a call from Tim Dog, and he said, hey, uh, you still collecting those uh, video game stuff? And I go, yeah. And he said, I'm at a garage sale, and there's a Qbert game here. And I said, oh, what's it for? Like Atari or Nintendo or something? And he said, no, it's like the big giant ones. And I was like, there's an, a Qbert arcade game at a garage sale? And he said, yeah. And I said, how much do they want for it? And he goes, let me ask the guy. And then he said, $100? And I said, Tim, do you have $100 on you right now? And he said, I don't. And I said, I want you to chain yourself to that machine. I'm on my way. And so I told my boss, I called my boss and I said, I'm not going to lie to you. I have an emergency. There is a Qbert arcade game for sale. And uh, he said, okay. <laughs> well, I've had several cool bosses. And I happened to be in my truck. I got in my truck and I drove to this garage sale and they had two or three arcade games and one didn't work. And one was like a bad conversion of something into something else that I didn't want. But the third one was this Qbert machine that uh, other than a very, very minor, a couple of different scrapes on the side art looked almost brand new. Uh, it was perfect. And I said, does this thing work? And we plugged it in and it worked. I didn't care if it worked for a hundred dollars, to be honest with you. Um, but it worked perfectly. And so I paid a hundred dollars and we threw it in the back of my truck and drove it home. So again, if you're watching the video version, there's a picture of me standing here next to my Qbert cabinet and I paid a hundred dollars for it. It worked great. And I had this machine the entire time that I uh, was into arcade games. Now, when I got it home, 
The only thing I noticed is that the monitor was kind of blurry and kind of dark. And I had it this way for like a week. You know, I kind of looked at it and uh, just didn't really know where to start without opening things up and stuff like that. And so after about a week, I opened, uh, you have to open the control panel to remove the glass because there's a sheet of glass that sits over the monitor. So I did that. And when I did that, I saw that the monitor was perfect. And what it was was just dirt and grime on the inside of that glass. And so I cleaned it with a rag and Windex and that fixed it. It was absolutely perfect. So uh, that was uh, probably one of my best arcade finds of all time. And I owe it uh, to Tim Dog, <laughs> who tipped me off about it. So it was a great purchase. And again, I never had to do any repairs on it. I never did anything to it. It worked the entire time uh, that I had it. Now, I talked about some of those old versions, and I wanted to wrap up with this because I just thought this was so interesting. Uh, you know, there was that Atari version I mentioned, which didn't look very good. There were some of the other early versions that didn't look very good. I had the Apple II version, which was slow and only used a couple of colors. And the, the Apple II one is, is unfortunately one of the worst ones that are out there. I, I love the Apple II, but, but the Apple II Qbert is, you know, not a show winner. And so it just amazed me that you had all these things that were pretty close to Qbert, but not exact. And I found uh, this the other day. I believe I was at Walgreens or CVS, uh, and it's a miniature tiny arcade cabinet that essentially plays the arcade version of Qbert, and it was about $20. And I was just so amazed that you could get this thing now. I think the screen is like an inch and a half uh, tall or something like that. And I found it on Amazon, and they're a little less than $20 on there. But uh, I just couldn't believe that that was, uh, you know, how, how far we've gone, you know, from the the games, the versions that I played back in the day to uh, this version. Uh, I will just wrap things up by saying that I really enjoy Qbert. If I go to a retro arcade and they have Qbert, it's one of the first games I'll play. I can usually clear the first two levels, so at least the first eight screens, and then once I get to the third one, uh, it just gets too fast and, and my brain's too uh, just uh, slurpy. <laughs> My brain is just a mess and uh, I can't keep up, uh, but I do enjoy Qbert. I've played it probably on every system that I've owned. I've ended up with a copy of Qbert at some point in time. Uh, I just think it's a, a classic and uh, I've always enjoyed it and I enjoy it to this day. wraps up another episode of you don't know flat if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show you can contact me directly at rob o'hara at rob join the conversation on facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast follow me on twitter at commodore come chat with me on the amigos retro gaming discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline which is area code 405-486-YDKF Sorry, I'm just enjoying the music here. <laughs> 
If you'd like to find out more about how you can support the podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Uh, find out more details there. All my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos retro gaming discord server and other additional perks. I'd like to take a moment to thank all my Patreon supporters. My eight bit supporters are Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Kerry Clanton, Chris Albright, Chris Folds, C Doves, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modalak, Eric Stryanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, John Bodokar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Special thanks to my 16-bit supporters. That's Bill Spear, Boat's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Scon Van Drasic, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. A lot of multitasking. <laughs> the audio version of You Don't Know Flag is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. Video versions of the show are available at youtube.com forward slash Castle. To hear more podcasts from me, like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, which is back, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about Flat. We'll see you next time. Bye.